Happy New Year's Travelers Blueprint Community. I'm Elliot Shibley, and before we get into the show, we want to hear from you to start the new year. Shoot us an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com or call us at 856-226-4730 to hear yourself on the next show and tell us about your travel resolutions for 2019. Now, I'm going to hand it over to the elusive Bob Domena. Ooh. Hey, guys. Um... So before we get into the show today, there seems to be a trend now with us reviewing our some of our reviews on iTunes, and we're going to review a special one today. So the beautifully named Poopy Doopy 8382937 gave us a great review, and he or she said, it's great to listen to people recount their traveling stories and offer advice and guidance on what works or doesn't work. I will certainly use this show when planning my next trip. Well, Poopy Doopy, we really appreciate the feedback, and we will continue to uh, hopefully give you great content in the future. Uh, We really appreciate that comment, and I hope that's not your real name. (laughs) If it is, there's nothing wrong with it. I love it. It's just so much fun to say. All right. Today's guest is an old friend from college. Um, he is a landscape architect by trade, and he's lived in Philly, D.C., Barcelona, and Melbourne. Uh, for this show, he will talk about his recent trip to the beautiful northwestern part of the U.S. to study light rail as a means of travel, plus recount some of his pretty interesting travel stories. Without further ado, please welcome Mike Fragnoli. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Mike, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Bob and I are very excited to have you on. It's been a while, it's been a while since we last talked, but I guess you're down in Florida now, given the palm trees behind you. Yep, yep. It's definitely Florida living. Nice uh, 80 degrees right now. It's a little different than up north where I grew up. Were you impacted by the hurricane at all? No. So South Florida was actually this weird little sliver on the map that did not get uh, any bit of the hurricane, actually. Wow. But, uh, but it seemed, up on the panhandle, it seemed like it was uh, pretty destructive. Yeah. But yeah, one was, of the worst in a while. Yeah. yeah, and I feel bad a little bit because I was telling everyone down here, since I recently moved here, and I saw Hurricane Michael was on the list of names for this year. I was like, oh, I really hope that's a big one. I want a, I want a <laughs> memorable hurricane here. Oh. And yeah, and it ended up being one. So yeah. everyone's kind of rolling their eyes about that. Yeah. 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 That's actually kind of funny because now we've had, so we've had Florence on and she came on <laughs> shortly after Florence hit. And now we have you on shortly after <laughs> my, Michael hit. I don't know if uh-huh. we're if we're causing them or if it's a total coincidence, I'm going to say it's a coincidence. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, yeah, you better be careful. I know. We'll see what happens. Hopefully it's not a predictive trend. <laughs> but we are we are excited to have you on to talk a little bit about your travels abroad and then more recently your research in the Northwest studying some of the public transportation systems and... Um, your time exploring some of the natural parks around there like Mount Eleanor. So could you actually begin with a little bit of your background and how you got into traveling with some of your study abroads? Yeah, so obviously it's something that 
it's it's a privilege to be able to travel as much as I have. But there's always been the allure of, you know, exploring these new places. And I I love just getting to know um, cities and the, the culture, of the people that live in them. But then on the side, obviously, I love, you know, hiking and, and just being able to explore all the natural beauty in uh, wherever I am. And I think the, the world is just so big and you, uh, there's just so much to explore. So every chance I get, I, uh, I throw in as much hiking and uh, exploration as possible, whether it's urban or uh, rural. Where did you first study abroad then? So first time was Barcelona. That was, that was a program through Penn State's landscape architecture program. And so I spent about two months in Barcelona. It's really, it's a, it was a pretty casual um, study abroad program where it was only landscape architects. But we studied under this architect, Miguel. Yeah, it was Miguel. Miguel Roland. And so we were right in the heart of Barcelona. And uh, so in between studying and you know, doing our one big project there, we, we did a lot of urban exploration and got to see a lot of Gaudi's work mm-hmm. there. Yeah, isn't it gorgeous? Oh, it's beautiful. You got Park Well and you have all the houses that he's done in the city itself. It's It was beautiful. I don't know how he came up with some of that. I know. And it's been, so Sagrada Familia, that was what, under construction in the early 1900s? Yeah. Yeah, I think we... It, it recently was just past its 100-year anniversary Yeah, of construction. Yeah, it's kind of incredible because it also, even though it only passed its, well, it just hit its centennial of construction, it hit its halfway point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now that it's you at can its, tell. Yeah, now that it's at its halfway point, I think there's only a, they're estimating about 20 years or 15 years until construction is completely done. And what yeah, do they actually need to complete at this point? Do you know? Yeah, there's a couple of towers. I don't know if, if, if that's what Gaudi would have called them, but I'm, I don't know. There's a bunch of towers that are supposed to represent, uh, I think, tree trunks, and they're they're still sprouting up. They, if you look at renderings, you can tell there's uh, there's still room for some more in there. But honestly, being there, it looks complete. If it weren't for the cranes and everything, I mean, you can go in and explore, and it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a treat to be able to visit that. Um, yeah. When did you when did you visit Barcelona? So that was uh, about three years ago now, or actually four years. Time flies. Uh, so that was my junior year of, of university, and it was a summer program. So kind of mixed in with the uh, the normal school year, and then finished up, went right into summer, studied there, came back, went right back to studying in school. <laughs> that was a long academic year. Yeah, yeah, there was no break there. <laughs> no, but we uh, it was it was awesome being able to explore there too. And everyone thinks of Barcelona. Obviously, it's a massive city, one of the biggest in the world. But they it's surrounded by mountains, and so you can you can still get some hiking in there and, and some incredible views over the city uh, just by by hiking around there. Yeah, we I uh, what was that 2013 when we were there for a week we spent. We spent all of our time in the city. We didn't really explore outside of it or had free time of our own. But I would like to go back someday. But it's hard to want to go back somewhere when you know there's so many other cool places that you haven't been. I know. It's, it's, a, it's a struggle trying to 
because obviously you love all these places that you travel to, but then it's like, ah, spend the money and the time going somewhere new, seeing something you haven't seen before, or, you know, go and, and seeing the, uh, what you've already done, seen. It's the, yeah, it's the true struggle of, of a traveler. Yeah. I, I still don't know which is better because I, I fell in love with Croatia and I want to go back. But at the same time, I've never been to Barcelona. And you're now our third guest that has raved about this city. Yeah. I didn't even really have Spain on my radar. And now I yeah. do. Now I, re- I really want to go to Barcelona. Yeah, absolutely. I'm telling you, you uh, if you really want to get to know the culture there, you go to the obviously less touristy spots. But there's so much to see in the city itself. And there's plenty of people there that, that you know, the language barrier is non-existent, really. It's easy to communicate and it's lots to see, for sure. Yeah, Bob, you'll have to go there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you also studied in Melbourne, Australia then, correct? Yes. So that was, that was a, a whole semester there, plus as much time as I could uh, get on either side of that semester. So I think I, so I went, I was there. Uh, for the normal school year, got there a week earlier or so, and then I stayed for uh, probably three or four weeks after the end of the semester and uh, did as much traveling as I could within Australia. And so when I was there, we I was studying abroad with one other girl um, who was part of the landscape architecture program at Penn State. And so she was kind of the travel buddy. Anytime we could, we could get out of the classroom, we would I go explore. And so, so the one, the biggest trip there was a road trip down the East coast of, of the whole country. Okay. So starting all the way up in Cairns, which is the, the most Northeastern part really that you could get to. And, uh, we spent about two weeks in a van traveling down that, that coast stopping, you know, everywhere we could. And that was pretty incredible. Yeah. So in Australia, they do drive on the opposite side of the road as the U.S., correct? Yes, they do. Were you were <laughs> you driving? I was. I did the majority of the driving, but that's that's probably mostly on me. I just I felt more comfortable being <laughs> in control than than uh, some of the, the people that I was with. All right, that's fair. Are most of the cars there manual or are they automatic? No, I think I think they're mostly automatic. Okay. It's pretty similar to, to the U.S. Okay. I know a lot of countries in Europe will have, like, I'd say a majority of the cars are manual. And I don't know. <laughs> I'm used to driving a manual car in America, but I don't know how if I'd be able to have the same dexterity with doing all the shifting with my left hand and the clutch with my right foot. Or I guess the clutch would still be on the left. I don't I- know. Well, yeah, it's only, it's it's only still... British colonized countries that are that are, that drive on the opposite side of the road. Most of Europe is on the on the right mm-hmm. still. Yeah, or or just on the cobblestones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, everywhere's a road in the city in in Europe. It seems like definitely. Um, if you, it will let me backtrack a little bit. You, you seem to have had a lot of opportunity to study abroad. Is that primarily due to your focus, your study? Uh I think just because the, yeah, I always just look for opportunities to, to explore when I can. And I don't know, study abroad always made it pretty, pretty easy to find a reason to be there, uh, not just, you know, vacationing. So, and it, it's nice because it gives it purpose and you end up being able to learn a lot more 
because it's it's academic. You know, they their professors and and fellow students there they're always willing to tell you about the place and give you kind of the insider information on what to go explore there. So okay. I think study abroad was always pretty easy uh, because of that. And then um, yeah, and so the most recently or most recently this fellowship that I had won, uh, you know, that's yet just another opportunity that I saw and went for it. And luckily it worked out and, you know, that's, uh, I'm looking for the next one. Yeah. So why don't we, why don't we get into that? Um, it is the Joseph J. Lally fellowship. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Yep. And that is actually through your work that you gained that fellowship or earned that fellowship. Can you talk a little bit about what the fellowship is and what you were doing? Yeah, so Joseph J. Lally, he was a he was one of the original founders of the firm that I worked for, uh, EDSA, and he he just believed in traveling whenever he could. Uh, he spent his lifetime traveling as well, and so before he passed away um, about seven years ago, he he created this uh, fellowship that's offered once a year, um, and it's so it's through the firm. But you, there's a bunch of people that will um, send proposals in for this trip. And, you know, it's for the, the mutual gain of uh, kind of landscape architecture as a profession, but then uh, you as an in- individual, so you can bring back what you've learned and, and uh, you know, hopefully expand uh, you know, other people's thoughts as well. And so that's once a year. And then at the end of the year, uh, you know, you do the whole holiday party and and you know it's a good time but one of the the main attractions is the person who went and did all this traveling through this fellowship and there's this big uh, presentation you give and uh, you actually have to write a book as well so I'm working on on the book right now uh, it is a pretty big pretty big task yeah I imagine yeah but I'm fortunate to be able to uh, to be able to do it yeah, I'm glad we caught you now. So hopefully the all of the information is fresh in your mind still. <laughs> oh yeah, the, yeah, and the stress, stress, <laughs> the stress, stress yeah. Well. <laughs> well, luckily we can't hear the stress. <laughs> yeah, I try to hide it. <laughs> um, so the the fellowship is research oriented, and where did the is it always in? Is it always the same, or does it change every year? Can you pick what you research or um, are they, is there like a pool that you get to choose from? Yeah, it's, it's all open-ended. It's actually a pretty, uh, it's really what, whatever you want to be studying. You just have to prove that there's, you know, you're not just going to vacation for a few weeks. You got to be able to, you know, bring back some information on what you learned, you know, some takeaways. But um, I decided to do, uh, well, I started broadly with public transit in general because uh, I think South Florida is pretty deplorable in, in, with their public transit. And I've been to all these places around the world where I could I could spend my entire time in the city and I never needed a vehicle because they had light rail and they had uh, buses and these expansive public transit systems where you never need to rely on having a vehicle. So obviously, as a traveler, you're going you're gonna to want to look for those things you're not bringing your car along with you so um so i was i initially was really interested in just public transit realized i was a little too ambitious 
because it's a pretty big subject and there's a lot of opinion and a lot to know about in general. So I actually refined it down to light rail. It's a pretty, pretty contemporary issue. Um, a lot of cities are looking to add something uh, regionally that's going to you know, help accelerate the progress of, of their cities. And I personally believe that light rail is one of the things uh, that's capable of doing that. And you can look at a lot of cities like uh, Denver and uh, Minneapolis, and you can just tell that with the addition of this, this really modern technology, people are able to traverse their cities and, uh, you know, where they don't have to be so reliant on a vehicle anymore. And that helps other people that are visiting your city as well, uh, being able to explore a little easier, get them around to, to see more of it. So. Yeah, I think there was supposed to be a project in the Philadelphia area for something similar. There's a there's a huge issue with I don't know if you're familiar with the Philadelphia area and the, the like the main line, but there's a there's a highway 76 that was built way before the the population the current population existed in the city, and it's just so backed up. And now they've developed in the surrounding areas that pretty much go along the entire highway to the point where they can't stretch it, they can't add lanes, they can't do anything. And now they're looking into light rail systems to bring people back and forth to certain areas. Uh, they are—they already do have one, but they need more. Yeah, yeah. Philadelphia—they're uh, a pretty progressive city, and so I, there's so much information you can find on people fighting for something like a light rail system there. But you know, the opposition always kind of justifies not spending more money on it because they've got the subway system there already, and you know. You're taking away uh, space on the roads when you have a light rail system. So it's it's always a pretty contentious subject, uh, not just in Philly, but really everywhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really glad we have you on because a lot of people assume travel is not assume, but when they think of travel, they think like flying, driving, maybe a cruise ship and mm -hmm. public transportation within a city is so intricately intertwined with travel because as soon as you arrive at a destination, you're immediately looking at how to get to the points of interest you need to get to. Exactly. And as someone coming from the U.S., when we're going to these European cities and these East Asian cities that have decent public transportation systems where we don't even have to get a taxi or an Uber, we can just hop on a bus or we can hop on a train and be at our hotel within a five-minute walking distance. And I... Not, I'll, I'll say I'm a little bit ashamed as an American in our cities and as a landscape architect, um, just because our cities have failed for tourists coming over. It is so heavily reliant on cars and taxis to get around a city. And they're, Absolutely. within that, they're barely even walkable. Yeah. We were also developed after most of our country started being developed after the invention of the automobile. And I think that plays a huge part in it, right? Whereas Europe, they're yeah. walkable because they didn't have a car when those cities were being developed. And exactly. that's why they're smaller. And and because you can't have a car in, in a lot of those cities. When I was in Croatia, we had the tiniest little car. And even that, it was tight. Getting through some of those tiny cobblestone streets, it was. <clears throat> it, it's not worth it. And it is way easier to have a car, I mean, to, to use uh, public transportation there. Whereas, yeah, we, 
we didn't we we as americans we don't care for public transportation and so that's why money doesn't go into it yeah yeah there's certainly a stigma that comes along with a lot of public transit here but um but what you mentioned is like it's not worth it to to own a car or something in some of these european cities and that's honestly a big part of this public transit argument is that we've made it so convenient to have a car and we've made it socially acceptable acceptable to be able to drive everywhere and you know you're a single person driving on your uh on your way to work every day whereas a lot of these european uh, countries they they can hop on a light rail or a train or something and you know if you're across the city you can even you can do work while you're while you're traveling and i don't know all the the logic points to something that you think everyone would support but I don't know. America hasn't done so well with it. Yeah. So I was actually listening to um, some news segment, and it was actually about the electric scooters that have kind of taken over cities in some places. Yeah. And Bob, to kind of contradict your point, um, eastern cities along like New York City, Boston, they were actually developed pre-automobile. So a lot of their streets were lined with trolleys, just people walking. And when the automobile came to mass production, people were actually really upset about it. People didn't want cars. And the narrative shifted in the 40s when automobile manufacturers actually started to put the negative light on pedestrians saying it's their fault that they're getting killed because people were getting massacred by the thousands and because there were no there were very few traffic lights there were very few road signage road regulations people with a car could just go wherever they wanted and there wasn't much safety involved yeah now you could see those old school photos of new york city and like the the cobblestone roads and everyone just walking in in whatever direction and there's cars and it's i don't know you can definitely see the chaos of uh early Uh, road planning and design yeah yeah but cities on the west coast and in the midwest were really designed on the advent of the automobile Mm -hmm. and when europe was actually redeveloped after world war ii since most of german cities were bombed to no end they actually had the opportunity and learned a lot from uh, america and developed Mm -hmm. massive highway systems into cities yeah yeah, they've done pretty well with that. And uh, this whole this whole idea of redeveloping after something. Um, so Seattle was pretty similar in that way. When they had, if anyone's ever been to Seattle, they'll they'll know the story of the fire in the in the city, and that's why uh, you see those huge hills. The whole city is built on the old city uh, after most of it burned down, and so they kind of had that chance to to develop strategically and little more progressively than uh, some of its some of it, its uh, older city counterparts but you can certainly see that i actually did not know that history of seattle i have been there but i did not know that oh yeah right there on the on the sounds uh you can see the 45 degree angle roads that lead down to the water that's all that's all the old city underneath that's uh it was built on so you're you're um public transit research actually took you to the Northwest and into uh, Washington, correct? Yeah. And Portland Seattle? and Seattle. And do you want to get into that a little bit? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So 
it might be personal opinion, but there's also, I think it's a widely accepted opinion that Portland and Seattle probably have some of the best public transit in the country, at least regard, uh, in regards to light rail. Um, New York and Philly, they have subway systems and, you know, they're, they're awesome as well, but uh, specifically light rail. I think the Pacific Northwest really leads the way in, in a lot of uh, the progress there. And so that's mainly what I was going to, to check out. And um, what I was saying before about the argument for it is I really think that that light rail is a, a catalyst for uh, some really accelerated growth in these more urban areas. And uh, so I was going there to see uh, you know, if, if what I was reading about was observably true. So you, you would think that around all these light rail stops that there'd be a lot of development or like new development when a new station pops up or a new line is added. And so you, you know, just based on observation, you should be able to go and see, you know, are, are the cranes around these areas where, uh, where you know, these light rail stations and the, the stops are. And so uh, a lot of the research was just based on uh, riding these things and, and taking notes and observing along the way. That's really interesting. If you could actually back up a little bit and explain the difference between light rail versus a subway versus like a main line. Yeah. So I think the, the main distinction was back in the 70s when light rail was uh, really taking off. Um, and it's, it comes from uh, Europe, of course. They, they saw the idea for, um, for developing these new systems above ground, something cheaper than a subway system. And uh, so it pointed to light rail. But trains, you know, like Amtrak and, and subways, they're, they're referred to as heavy rail. Uh, and the distinction is just the amount of effort it go- that goes into creating it. Um, light rail, really, you're, it's, it's a retrofitted technology. You, it's on top of the streets, so you're not digging tunnels or anything under your city. So uh, that's the main distinction. But a lot of subway systems are, are really, they've been where they've been for so long. Um, so you don't really see too many cities trying to burrow out underneath their already developed uh, urban areas. So light rail is kind of the, the direction that a lot of uh, planners and designers in these cities will try to point towards. Are you paying attention to Elon Musk and his boring program? Yeah, yep. I'm interested to see what that's all about. Me it's, too. Uh, the renderings are cool and everything, but <laughs> we'll we'll see if that ever comes to fruition. Yeah. Well, so he has. I think he has two projects, right? Or is the boring? Oh, well, he has the Hyperloop, and then right. he has the boring, which I think he already broke ground in Los Angeles. And basically, yeah. your your car pulls onto a platform, and the street gets lowered down. Um, on this, I guess, like a sort of like hydraulic system. And then this platform with your car on it then sits on a track and shoots through this underground tunnel to whatever destination you want to go to. Obviously, it's all, you know, a prototype. I don't think he has anything in the works yet, but it's interesting. The guy has ideas, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. No, and he's literally shooting for the stars with with some of them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he actually put a proposal together for Chicago to connect downtown with, I think, the O'Hare Airport. It's like a maybe a one and a half mile to two mile 
I could be totally off mm-hmm. on that, but it's still extremely expensive per mile oh, yeah. versus even a heavy rail. But I, I think you actually got that project and I don't know if they're going to start soon. I think they're still under permitting, but yeah, yeah, some big ideas. If that does work out, that's going to be really interesting. That could change a lot of cities around the U.S. Oh, absolutely. Because like we were saying, that all of our cities are designed around the automobile. So once you start throwing all this, this new technology, whether it's light rail or a, a hyperloop, you, I mean, it's going to change the dynamic of, of how cities really develop. Absolutely. When you were in Portland and Seattle, were there a lot of other public transit options as well, like buses or, I mean, even bike people that would carry two people, one person? Yeah, they. it's definitely the most extensive public transit that I've been able to see firsthand. They, they had more buses on the street than, than cars for the most part. And uh, they, their buses are actually, they're pretty neat. They have, they connect to these overhead lines and they're actually, uh, so they're electric buses. They're hybrid, but for the most part, they're running them on you know, clean energy. Huh. And uh, it's really pretty neat. Then the scooters, like you mentioned, there's, there's uh, electric bikes there that help with some of the uh, topography in the cities and they, they have everything and i i got to use pretty much all of it it was really pretty neat wow are light rails primarily used for commuters or is that more in the city transportation to get around um so so portland and seattle both they they're pretty good uh they attached um their lines to the the airport itself which they're both both cities airports are pretty far away it's like a good 30 minute uh, light rail train ride and um so they it, they can definitely get regional but for the most part they're used yeah to move within the city limits itself and um when i was in australia you could definitely tell it was mostly uh, people commuting to either school or their job but what i saw was definitely more of uh, people just kind of getting out and, and exploring or, you know, going shopping or something is less about commuting and, and more about just the fact that they had the system. They could, they could get to where they wanted. I mean, I'm all for it. If I'm going to go to a city and I'm going to, you know, go out with friends and have a few drinks, enjoy my night, I really do not want to have to rely on, like, if I drove down there, I don't want to have to rely on going back in the morning to pick my car up and get an yep. Uber home. I would much prefer to spend a little bit of time like getting down there. You don't actually have to drive, so you can do whatever else on your way down. Exactly. Now, and you you hope that these kinds of systems help with uh, forming more of an urban core, because on the weekends you can always tell like where the where everything's happening in a city and where everyone wants to go, and so you can use things like light rail to to really accelerate that and get more people there from from outside that area and you know that's of course going to bolster the, the the local economy it's going to help people see your city more and in, in, in an easier way and really it's just all around helps with uh, everything from tourism to if you're a local are you familiar with the houston light rail project that was completed uh maybe uh six years ago seven years ago i've, I've definitely read about it it's pretty extensive. Uh, yeah. I think Dallas as well. It's 
they're some of the biggest, I mean, you know, Texas, everything's bigger in Texas and it, that's, it doesn't stop at their light rail systems. They've got some of the biggest in the country. Yeah. And it, when I was reading about it, I was at first like, wow, they actually, Texas with all their space and their sprawling cities decided to do these light rail systems mm-hmm. because their roads are, I guess, quite packed and usually there's a lot of traffic, but there was a lot of criticism on the light rail system itself from even supporters of it so the whole purpose of the light rail system was to try to get cars off the road and you can fit more people into a train car and bring them into the city rather than having every single person driving a car that can sit for people but where but where the criticisms kind of keyed in on was that they elevated it and didn't actually put it in the road to eliminate cars and force people to start using it. So the the system actually has very few riders and they've constantly been trying to retweak how much it costs or if they should increase the cost because it's really not operational or they're operating at a deficit. And if they had just put it in the road, it would have forced people to kind of rethink maybe if Maybe I shouldn't drive because now this train is in here. But since they elevated it, people are like, oh, great. There's a train that people will go on and I can still drive my car. Yeah, I I would say that that was probably not the proper way (laughs) to implement that. And I mean, I give them all kudos because they put in, what, 20 miles of light rail, something like that. And it cost a fortune. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if it was just before its time. Mm Mm-hmm. No, it's it's tough. It's a men- it's it's a, the psychology of a city, really. You just yeah, you always want your ridership to be high, but at the end of the day, none of these light rail systems really perform on on fares alone. Uh, the cities are always going to have to uh, you know contribute tax dollars to it, and so that's what uh, that's usually the argument against it. But these these systems can get pretty pricey. Um, like Seattle was looking to spend, I think it's fifty billion over the next thirty years or something on on expanding it. So that's a big dollar sign. And if you're a local there, you got your own opinions about about that money. Absolutely. So, so yeah, yeah. But it helps to not only explore the city; it helps get you out of the city as well if it's planned properly. So out in Portland, they had they had buses that ran to everywhere along the gorge there um they had they had one specific bus that was pretty touristy but it got you from the center of the city all the way to these beautiful waterfalls and it was you know it helps it helps people explore so much easier not everyone's renting a car you just hop on this bus and you can still see the beauty of of, you know the natural parts of the the place but uh, you don't have to worry about driving yeah i think that's a great idea especially going out and doing some of those hikes and then not having to be exhausted and drive all the way back to the city. It's, exactly. and that's one of the worst things that I, that I have to deal with when I go out there and it's, you know, it's nighttime. You just hiked all day long. You're absolutely exhausted. If I yeah. knew about a, a light rail system that would take me right back to the city mm-hmm. and, and pretty much up to my hotel, I would use it every time. Yeah. And, uh, I know yeah, Elliot absolutely. had mentioned that you, you were out in near Mount Eleanor. Yeah, I actually, that, I, I was hiked Mount Eleanor. Was it for fun or, or through work? Are you putting a light rail out there? 
No, that was definitely the the fun part of this whole uh, research trip. I probably spent about two weeks in the cities that I was I was looking at, and then you know on whenever I got the chance, I would get out of there and and explore some of those incredible mountains. So Portland, uh, since I was there first, I got to see uh, the whole gorge area and the the incredible waterfalls there. Um, there's Multnomah Falls. That's like the big one that everyone knows about. But some of the lesser ones, like Lauderdale Falls, that was that was incredible. Did you take but a shower? <laughs> I I think that water would knock you out if you tried standing <laughs> underneath it. I it was, I tried. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's a there's a video to prove it. Except for I, <laughs> I got I got into like the mist section and I was like, nope. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, it's it. Those waterfalls are incredible. You're just dwarfed by them when you see some of the pictures with you know, a little human figure in there and yeah. it's this massive waterfall. It's really cool. Yeah. That was but, an incredible area. I parked out there and, and I did, I went out there as well and hiked throughout all of those waterfalls along that. I forget what that road is that goes, it takes you out to, uh, Multnomah. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. And yeah. Then, it, yeah. It's all along the gorge there. It's just like the, I can't remember the name now, but it was like a, a real feat of engineering to, to build that road. And it's, I mean, you can see it. The uh, there's a lot of bridges that kind of that go over these gaps in the in the gorge there, and it's beautiful. Yeah, right along the Columbia River. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And then, uh, so then you can also after that, um, we spent some time going a little bit south, and that was that's where Mount Hood is, and um, these awesome little cities that kind of that just seem to pop out of nowhere. Um, there was Hood River, which is where, like, apparently the kite surfing capital of the world because of the wind that comes out of the that gorge area and off the mountain. And so, you, I don't know, you just discover all these little places along the way. And I can't take all the credit. It's because I, I was able to talk to a lot of locals while I was there. And uh, he he had recommended this, this trip and uh, seeing the gorge and, you know, specifically which way to go uh, so you can see see the mountain and it's uh it would it's really quite the trip yeah that's that's a huge uh travel tip always talk to locals because yeah. you'll, you'll never know some of the best spots otherwise any yeah. amount of research you, you still you're still gonna miss some of those yeah did but you that, did you uh, use your research did you actually interview people for your research yeah yeah so i i was fortunate enough to know some people i knew some people that knew some other people and so i i got to uh, interview some local people just you know casually you'd go grab a beer or something you start talking to you know anyone around you and then you you know that opens up the chance to interview them everyone's got an opinion on these things and so I got uh, I got a lot of local opinion and then I was I talked to uh, he was a landscape architect in Seattle but he he had ties to the government uh, of Seattle the local government of Seattle and so I got to talk to you know, the the head urban designer of Seattle and uh, get his opinions and you know just some other high up names that this you know this is what they do for a living and they've got they know the ins and outs of it all and got a lot of really good good information. Yeah, I was gonna say that even if you weren't actually doing research, that might be a really good way to talk to people. <laughs> and just say, hey, I'm doing this research project. Can you give me information on this? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, so I think 
when everyone when you just kind of start talking to somebody like randomly never met before people are kind of like all right what's what's this guy trying to get out of me what's he gonna sell me but once you tell them that you're there for you know i'm here on a fellowship uh, trying to get some some information and local opinion on some of this they're they open right up you could spend hours just talking to these these random people at at bars and you really get pretty in-depth look of what it's like to to live in these places yeah that might be a good travel hack just say you're doing a fellowship and then you have all this insider knowledge (laughs) exactly (laughs) and don't try to sell them anything exactly yeah yeah but then uh on top of that all so i i would stay in i stayed in four different airbnbs when i was over this three-week span and i kind of planned it that way to see to stay in different parts of each city um, because they're so big and it's easier to explore something when you're you know, right there. But at these Airbnbs, um, people, the, the hosts were living in the, the house too. So I would get a bedroom or some, but then you inevitably end up talking about uh, what you're going to do and what and your plans. And they, uh, they always have really good, good advice for some of these local spots that, you're never going to see, um, you know, on the internet there, they tell you the local thing to do. Yeah. I've always, well, not always, I will say in the last year or so I've started using Airbnb a lot more and I've looked specifically for people that stay, like they just rent out a portion of the room. You don't have the whole house to yourself and that way you might actually have some interaction. Exactly. Yeah. On top of them, on top of it being cheaper, (laughs) And like way cheaper than a hotel, you get some really cool uh, stories and you get to meet some cool people. And even the very first Airbnb I stayed in, um, I got there and uh, I was greeted by this, the friendliest cat I've ever seen. And this cat would just like sleep with me while I would, you know, it's uh, it's pretty. I was just sitting there thinking like you wouldn't get this in a hotel. No, it's a good thing you weren't allergic. No. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That might, that might've changed things, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> so can we talk about Mount Eleanor a little bit? How, yeah, how awesome sure. was that hike, man? Did you, you like it? I, I haven't really talked to anybody else who's been to that hike yet. Yeah. I, so I used, have you guys heard of Turo? It's like a new, it's a new app. Okay. Yeah. So, so I decided to try out this new app Turo and uh, it's basically for renting a car, but it's like Airbnbs, but for cars. And so uh, I actually, I got this nice little RAV4 and uh, I took it to the mountains. And uh, so, yeah, once I was there, um, well, the whole reason for this Turo thing, you there's a limit on the amount of miles you can drive. It's definitely cheaper, but it, this is one of the, the points that contribute to being cheaper. So I could only go 200 miles or so in the time that I had it. And so from from the city, it was it was something like sixty miles or so, or no, even more. But it was getting close to that limit. So a lot of or, um, at Mount Eleanor, it was kind of the closest point in Olympic National Park that I could get to without having to worry about this whole mileage thing. But uh, yeah, that was an incredible hike, and uh, I did it alone. And so I met this guy who was also uh, hiking alone while he was there, and we just kind of ended up sticking together for the the whole trip it was really pretty cool was that the guy in the photo that you sent us yeah yeah. (laughs) that's awesome his name is michael too actually he's belgian but the way 
the way he tells people to so that we can pronounce it as Michael. So that was pretty funny too. I had a pretty similar experience. I met a couple as I was hiking. I was hiking alone. I was out there for work, hiking alone. Met a couple who was also hiking. Um, they started on the closer trailhead, and I started at the one on the bottom. Um, oh, you're brave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, dude. I had, those woods were awesome, and then eventually it, it was still tons of snow when I went, and there was the giant like chute. You know what I'm talking about? The there was just this oh, giant yeah. snow covered area that looked like a ski jump that would have just gone off the side of the mountain. <laughs> yeah, we hiked up that. Then we hiked over up a creek, like a, a little water running waterfall, and then all of a sudden there were just tons of goats everywhere. Yeah, the mountain goats. Yeah, yeah, yeah they were awesome. That was- yeah, they were kind of sprinkled all along the mountain there. They uh, and they didn't really seem to mind the hikers at all. Uh, I think it was a pretty busy time of year, and the goats were still just kind of hanging out. You could you kept your distance, and apparently that can be aggressive. But um, but we we stood far enough away, but you could still get pretty close, and they really didn't mind you being there. It was cool. No, yeah. and did you did you happen to notice the sign at the beginning of the trailhead that said "Don't uh, urinate on the trail"? Yep. Yeah, and, and you- it's because these these goats like the scent of human urine. And Elliot just sent me. Did he send me an article about it the other day? Yeah, yeah. That just said they're removing a bunch of these goats now because they're too addicted to human urine that they don't <laughs> want them on the mountain anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's why they're that's why they're so aggressive. Is the salt from human sweat and the urine? They don't right. have a natural supply of it at Mount Eleanor. So. Yeah they will are attracted to humans and they'll yeah. be really aggressive. They'll like start licking people or butting them. <laughs> yeah. Now you, you can see them licking like the rocks along the way, you know, cause you'll sit down and, and, you know, take a breather, but you're still, you're usually sweaty. And so they'll go over that rock and start licking it off. Yeah. <laughs> it's really pretty strange. It is. So, so the article I sent Bob, it, I, it showed up on my newsfeed and I was like, what, what are they doing to these goats? Because they have this helicopter and they're strapping them in. It looks like they're, it's like something out of Jurassic Park. Like they're going to lower it into yes. a velociraptor cell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the environmentally friendly response to that, but I don't know. I guess, I guess you got to do something. Yeah. Because technically they're not native to Mount Eleanor. They're native to a mountain range a little bit south of it. So oh, okay. I guess somehow they made their way over there because of the popularity of it. And now they're actually moving them away so that they can't come back. Oh, okay. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't know they weren't native to it. They definitely seem like they fit right in there. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they did. And when you came down, did you slide down on your butt in the, the snow trail? I, I went, it was in the middle of summer, so there wasn't any uh, snow. Okay, but all right. It was it was a pretty rocky rocky hike i don't think here would have been a sliding did you see our videos did you see the video that that i put up on our instagram of us going up and then coming back down no i saw the i saw the goats but i I missed that one then when you get a chance check out our story or um whatever they're called like the the highlights in the highlights you'll see the couple i met and i videoed him basically people just created this uh pathway in the snow you would just sit down, propel yourself, and you would just shoot down the mountain. And that's, that's what awesome. we used to get back down. Yeah. We we barely hiked back down. I don't I don't remember how fast we actually got back down to the trailhead, but it was it, it we did it very quickly. Yeah. Well, that was that would have been much more fun because I was I was at the top and 
we were come I was walking down with with my buddy and he actually he slipped and there was a pretty big ball right there and I was I started th- and he was fine but I was thinking if you're on top of this mountain and something like you just take the one wrong step like you're kind of you're stuck on top of this mountain it's not you don't really slide down in the middle of summer yeah 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 that's one of the dangers no self-service you're kind of you're you're kind of screwed yeah but definitely worth it worth the danger i guess <laughs> agreed <laughs> so you said the the results of your research you're still working on the book and the presentation when will that be ready uh it's supposed to be ready in the beginning of December. All so right. So we'll, that's what we're shooting for. Uh, I'm trying not to make any excuses here. So <laughs> I'm going to say December <laughs> hesitantly. All right. Will that be available publicly or are you just given like a little presentation to within EDSA? So the, the book itself is going to initially be for the, the firm, at, uh, the firm, for, you know, in inside kind of information but um, there's been former winners of this fellowship that um, have pursued publishing publishing their books and uh, so I think that's further down the line you know writing it is definitely step one but then uh, I think yeah further down the line as long as it's it's worthy I'm, I hope it can get published yeah okay if you wouldn't mind would you want to send us a little synopsis of some of your findings and then we can post that with your show notes sure so that people can if they want to look into it a little more they can yeah sure i'd, I'd love to any uh, any chance i get to kind of explain and show the benefits of what I, I saw yeah absolutely awesome do you have any interesting stories beyond the the goats and meeting michael <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a few, and all of it was because of all these little local connections I made and fellow solo travelers. Um, so my very first day in Seattle, I met this this girl at this bar. Actually, before all this, the reason I'm at this bar, first day in Seattle, <laughs> I went to this Airbnb, and um, the guy was out of the country, so he gave me all the all the instructions to get into his place and you know set up, but. Uh, the while he was gone for the few weeks that he was, the building that he lived in was doing the, all these renovations and removed the lockbox that he had left for me. And so I'm I'm there. He's out of the country, so I can't really get a hold of him. And so I'm just kind of sitting there. And it must have been two hours or so went by. I'm just trying to you know figure out what to do next because I'm there by myself. I'm locked out of my Airbnb. Don't know what to do. And so I figure, well, I'll just go to the bar. I'll, you know, think it over with a beer. And so while I'm there, of course, I'm the only guy there with these two massive suitcases, you know, trying to blend in. And uh, this, the bartender, he's talking to me and everything. And he, he told me about this, this other, this girl uh, that was sitting there who just arrived as well. And so we start talking and she's a, she's a dancer from Canada and uh, she was going to be there for a couple of weeks as well. And so she was kind of the, the impromptu travel buddy every once in a while. But she would, through through some other nights when she was out, she would meet other people. And she actually met a pilot. And uh, she convinced them to give us a ride on this plane over, over Seattle and the sound and everything. And uh, so we went on this awesome little free plane ride for a good hour. 
we got to see Seattle like you know you never get to. Wow, that wasn't the same plane ride that that guy took, <laughs> where he just hopped in the plane and started flying around. <laughs> nope. It's, okay. No, this guy seems certified and and legit. <laughs> That one didn't end well. I <laughs> Oh, that's right. Yeah, I should. <laughs> Dude, that's no, but... incredible, man. That's an incredible thing to just happen to you on the road randomly. And yeah. that's yeah, it just it just goes to show that people when they're traveling, the importance of meeting locals and just sparking those conversations with people who live in those cities. You really never know what you're going to learn or who you're going to meet or what experiences you're going to get as a result. Exactly. No, and it's always I don't know. People, of course, you're never just going to be comfortable walking up to anybody you see and start talking. But there's so many opportunities just through daily life. You can just you can talk to people and, you know, one of them is going to own a plane. So. <laughs> I've met a pilot actually as well. I met yeah. uh, when I was in uh, I think it was Cincinnati. I went to the I went to a brewery. So I, when I when I travel, I go out for beers, too. I find a good brewery. I just go try their beer. And yeah there was a pilot who did the same and I ended up hanging out with him all night. And, you know, I have a huge in- interest in travel, obviously he's a pilot and we just hit it off and we just drank beers and talked about traveling and flying. He told me about his schooling and he was young. He was still in his early twenties. So he was still putting in the hours on a non-commercial flight. Right. Um, it's just to just build up to be a commercial airline pilot eventually, but right. yeah, incredible stuff. And, and that's still one of my favorite uh, times in a bar with a stranger traveling that I've ever had. And I have a few where I've met incredible people across the country. And yeah. I still hold hold value to those, some of those conversations because I learned a lot from, from these people that I would have never met otherwise. Yeah. And yeah, 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 the importance of thinking it over at a bar with a beer. Yeah. No, and I probably spent a little too much time in some of these bars, but it's pretty easy <laughs> up there. It's I feel like there's a bar on every street, or a brewery on every street. Oh my God. And, uh, you know, the people in there are just so friendly and, and inviting and you tell your story one time and, you know, people, people love hearing it. It's such an easy way to, to get some good information on, on what to do while you're there. Are you still in contact with the pilot and the girl? Yep. She, her name is Kim. She just moved to New York, actually. Really? Um, yep. Pilot guy. He was, he was doing the same thing. His name was Kyle. He was working towards his hours. Um, he had his private license, but you still need a pretty ridiculous amount of hours to get up to your commercial license or, you know, even instrument license. So he, a lot of these, uh, small time private pilots, they're, they're always happy to take people up. They get their hours in and, and, uh, yeah, they have a, they have a friend to sit alongside. How was Seattle from that point of view? And was this a, was this a propeller plane, a small propeller plane or? Yeah, it was a little Cessna, a little yeah. four-seater. It was a Cessna 172 or something like that. He was trying to explain it to me. I don't know planes that well. <laughs> no, before before you guys might ask something that I'm not qualified <laughs> to answer. Um, but he, yeah, it's a little airport just outside the city. So we took a quick Uber trip, uh, 20 minutes or so out. And yeah, we took off. We were, it was right there at sunset. And it, uh, it was some, it was a pretty incredible experience there. Yeah. I've, I've taken Cessnas twice. Uh, I think they were both seven seaters. I took one from Arkansas to Dallas and then I took one from Seattle to North Bend, uh, Oregon. Wow. Both. Oh, so awesome you're, going, you're going far in these, these little planes. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Arkansas to Dallas was incredible because that one was during the day, and we we didn't go too high, so we we never. I don't, we never went above the clouds. I don't. Maybe it just wasn't a very cloudy day. I don't know how high they actually go. I mean, I clearly saw cars like the entire way, and so yeah. I'm just looking out the window the entire time. That was it was awesome. Uh, the one yeah. from Seattle to Oregon that was at night, so I didn't really get to experience that one. That would have been even cooler to see during the day, yeah. uh, with that natural environment up there. But unfortunately, yeah. I didn't get to see much. Yeah, you. I mean, you've seen all the mountains and the the Cascade Range and all these volcanoes, and it's being able to see it from from that vantage point is it definitely changes the uh, the way you look at it, and um, uh, just what you're describing, being able to see the city like that, you know, that it, it moves at a completely different pace when you can see it from that that high up. And it's uh, something not a lot of people get to do, so it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, very cool experiences. Before we let you go, can you let everyone know where they can find you either on Facebook or Instagram or if you have um, like a blog or other social media site? The, I can't say I'm too, I'm too diligent about social media, but I do have Instagram. So that's uh, M underscore, uh, and then my last name, Farnioli, F-A-R-G-N-O-L-I. All right. So, and then hopefully I'll have this. Uh, I'll have this video for the end of the year presentation. So I'm gonna. I'll be happy to put that up on on YouTube, and and I'll send you guys a link to that, so listeners can, can go watch that. Wonderful, for sure. All right, we do this with most of our guests. So you've given quite a bit of good advice already. But if there is someone listening that is looking to travel or is already traveling, um, do you have? a tidbit of knowledge that you can bestow upon them that will make their travel experiences that much better? Yeah, I think, I mean, we've talked about it a lot now, but you you can't be scared to go talk to local people, especially if you're going to be there by yourself, which some people I think are scared to do, but don't be afraid to solo travel. The world's not as dangerous as, as the news makes it out to be sometimes. So you can get a lot of really great experiences just by talking to people. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much, Mike. Yeah. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to come on. I learned a lot today. I'm not a a landscaped architect, so (laughs) I I really, I just enjoyed this conversation a lot. Yeah. No, I I hope uh, you guys keep bringing on the interesting uh, speakers. Yeah. Hope I could be one of them. (laughs) Oh, you definitely are. We appreciate your time. It's been wonderful. Oh, great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. There you have it. Best way to meet people on a trip is to simply tell them that you need to interview people for a research project, and apparently they'll just take you on a plane ride. Yeah, that is one of the better stories that we've heard so far. That's an incredible experience, and one that doesn't happen to many people very often. He's very fortunate to have been able to see Seattle from that perspective. Yeah, I'm pretty jealous. Get a bird's eye view of Seattle, like a Seahawk even though I'm not a fan of the Seahawks. We won't get into that. <laughs> That's a good reference there. Um, all right, guys. So please uh, don't forget to reach out to us with any questions that you may have and leave your comments on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Check us out and comment on IG, Facebook, or our Patreon page. And please feel free to send us an email and contact us directly uh, that way. So once again, thank you for being our dedicated listeners. We appreciate it very much and uh, tune in next time.